Welcome to 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Drew Creaseman, and as always, I'm excited to be talking Colorado Rockies baseball with you here on the show. And unlike a lot of these off-season podcasts that are partially or, or half about the Rockies, or the last one that really wasn't at all, this is going to be a very in-depth look because our good friend, my good friend and yours of Fangraphs, Dan Zimborski, has released his Zips projections for the Colorado Rockies this season. Always fantastic and interesting fodder uh, because it is a pretty deep dive look at every position. Most of the guys they expect to be on the MLB roster and then kind of an overall projection for each unit, right? How how the starters are going to be, how the relievers are going to be, how the position players are going to be. I'm going to go through each one of these things, uh, talk about my reaction to these projections, what I think might be missing here, where, uh, you know, I might have a a slight disagreement with them. Uh, But, you know, as I always say with these things, you got to take everybody's analysis with a bit of grain of salt. Of course, as you all know, I I would think by now, Dan and I are are friends. He's an awesome video game friend, in addition to being a baseball friend and and an epic nerd. And and that's great. Uh, We've often disagreed. Uh, about how the Rockies are treated by some of these statistics that are informing these things, particularly one that I know he loves that I, I really struggle with, which is Fangraph's balanced offensive rating WRC plus, right? I prefer OPS plus, and then beyond that, I actually prefer DRC plus. But let's not get too into the weeds on that yet. I think going into the season, I'll do an entire episode on some of the key statistics and what you need to know as a Colorado Rockies fan and how it's going to impact the upcoming season. But what we're dealing with here is the the big one, right? The wins above replacement statistic. And, and basically, you know, as we've talked about before, fan graphs is a little bit different from baseball reference, and there's always a bit of wiggle room here, but it's a great way to look at the overall value of a player and or position compared to league wide and, and go to get a, a balanced look, right? So I'll give the caveats as I go through. The big one I'm going to just say up front as I get into the details now, but I basically am flipped on how I think some of these position players are going to perform versus how the starters are going to perform. Now, understand that flipped means I would probably subtract one win or so from each one of the pitchers, certainly in the rotation, and add a few here and there. And I'll explain now where specifically I'll do that. Let's begin where I think the team is most underrated, actually, which is on the infield here. So going from left to right, one that I think is actually totally fair is Ryan McMahon being projected to put up a 2.3 war at third base. He's been, with his defense, basically a three-war guy the last couple of years, but we've also seen a little bit, you know, well, now two seasons of evidence that McMahon's offense has stagnated a little bit, and so it's hard for these systems to project that he's going to go up. But because McMahon, and this is true, even more true of Rodgers at second base, being projected for a 1.8 win season where he just came off of a 3.2 and it's like are they expecting Rodgers to have a big downgrade well it's more about the statistics aren't quite ready to label them as perennial three win players right Rodgers has done it once McMahon has done it twice but McMahon isn't getting it from his offense so on the one hand it's hard to project that McMahon is going to get any better 
than he's been because typically, according to these statistics, he would have done that by now. But the one thing is that his defense, which is actually not rated as importantly uh, on Fangraph's projections, as uh, I'm sorry, on their metrics as it is on baseball reference, but it does provide McMahon and Rodgers with a pretty high floor. So I would be... You know, not shocked if McMahon was a two-win instead of a three-win guy next year, especially if the bat takes a step back even. That that can absolutely happen. With Rodgers, I feel like that's too big of a drop-off to expect after the guy just showed what an incredible defender he can be. And actually, one of the things that people forget about all of those monster defensive statistics that he put up was he was, like the entire team, bad defensively in the first month month and a half of the season. He was he was just bad across the board in the first month of the season, wasn't he? Uh, and then he still put up that three-win season. So you, you basically had him as a, a negative win guy for a month, month and a half before Rodgers was able to get to over three wins. So I think the idea that he would take a big step back again, if the bat falls back, that's how that could happen for mo- both McMahon and Rodgers. But their defense is so good that as long as they remain at least league average hitters, they should both be three-win players. That's basically what their what their floor is at now from the kind of defense that they're able to bring. And so we'll see about that. Uh, interesting that at shortstop, and they have both Tovar and Trejo limited, but this was, and this is something that Dan wrote about in the article, and everyone should go to to Fangraphs and and read up on all of this, but uh, that Zips is really high on Ezekiel Tovar, and that's great news for the player who should be the most important and interesting, you know, future piece to be evaluating next year. This would be the the biggest piece of good news that the Rockies are are likely to get on the big league roster. You know, the Zach Veen thing looks like it's more likely to happen later into the season unless he really just comes out of the gates firing. Um, so Tovar is the guy who you're you're really looking at. I'm going to talk about two others here in just a minute, but it looks like it's Tovar's job at shortstop. And Trejo is a, a perfectly reliable backup. He's shown that he can he can do a decent job once he gets in there. He's a good defender, a little bit better hitter. He's actually thrown on a little bit of power, which has been interesting. But I don't think he's ever going to be much more than a backup, but he's a very serviceable one. Tovar is the guy where if he gets to this projected 2.2 wins, that's a very, very good rookie season. Uh, that, w- that would be good, but you you've, you wonder a little bit right there. That's that's one of those numbers that could pop. These are the types of systems. And Dan would tell you this. He always uh, mentions these caveats. You know, the young player who might kind of come out of nowhere and put up a four or five war season, that's n- almost never going to be caught by these projection systems because it's so rare and it's you're not going to guess that that's going to happen because it's pretty darn unlikely but when you have a skill set like what Tovar has again as I was mentioning with McMahon and Rogers a very high floor just because of his defense like Tovar could have a two win season while being very disappointing at the plate because He's such an athlete, and he's going to be involved in so many plays at shortstop. And he's also, you know, 21 years old, so he's going to have the energy of a 21-year-old. Y'all remember young Tulowitzki? Like, he's going to be running around getting everything. And that's going to be a blast to watch. But if 
his bat, which has been playing better the last couple of years, and the power, which has been much better the last couple of years, continues to show out. And he happens to be the first young guy for the Rockies in a long time. You know, and I've said this before, I feel like they're about due for one. Just like, you know, looking into the cosmos, because they've had several guys who have come up and it eventually, you know, they've turned into some pretty good ball players. Just talking about McMahon and Rogers, right? But those were obviously guys who didn't hit right away. The David Dahl thing was so uneven. He was a great player right away. He just couldn't stay on the field. And, you know, all of that eventually just kind of sapped him. And so, you know, uh, some of the pitchers that have come up, Kyle Freeland, people forget, had a, a kind of rough finish to that that first season. Uh, you know, John Gray certainly didn't take the world by storm or any of these things. Marquez, maybe is the closest they've come to there in his first full season. But it has been a while since a Rockies rookie just came up and was, you know, really legitimately around those rookie of the year conversations. And I think Tovar is going to be one of those guys. And so that is a place where I think on the infield, kind of across the board, again, if each individual player, it might be close, you might take the slight over, but certainly for the infield. And then when we go over to first base, this is again, I think an under projection. I know CJ Crone didn't finish the year, uh, the way he started it, he obviously had a very, very good first half, not so good in the second half. Look, the whole team was run down. Uh, they were bad. He'd been carrying the offense all season. At some point, guys just stopped pitching to the only guy in the lineup who's doing any damage. And there's no reason to give CJ Crone anything to hit. And it, it, it was just brutal on him. But he's a plus hitter. He's a plus defender. And this is interesting, too, because they have Tolia factored in here, where if Krohn is still on the roster, I think this is one of the big mistakes. Tolia is going to play more outfield than first base next year. But obviously, he is going to be the primary backup at first. But they have them under a win at 0.7, and I think they comfortably clear that. I think Crone with a little more protection in the lineup, if we're assuming, you know, we're going to start talking about the outfield here in a second, but Bryant... Uh, and some of these other guys, I think there's going to be a little bit more protection in the lineup. He's not going to have to do everything on his own. And there's also going to be a backup there for him in Tolia. So if there's particularly tough matchups or like there, there were times where if he wasn't healthy, like the Rockies couldn't take him out of the lineup ever. And he didn't want to be taken out of the lineup. He was trying to be a rock for a very difficult ship that I don't think that analogy quite worked in the ocean. I don't know. A steady force for a very unsteady season was Crone trying to be. And I think next year there are just going to be other people to take that load, including Tolia, who's going to be around for most of the season. But I see them combined doing a lot better than less than a, a win at first base. In addition to that, uh, nowhere on here do they have Montero. They don't have Montero listed anywhere, and he doesn't talk about him in the article. And so for me, that's one of the big misses because I think actually Montero is more likely to be getting time at DH and at first base, where Tolia, I think, is going to be getting time in right field. So that, I think, is also a little bit of a miss by the system because Montero is another guy who I think has the opportunity to break out a little bit and maybe have a win, a win and a half campaign by himself, just from his offense, especially if he really gets hot with the bat. 
and you start working him at DH a little bit more if Charlie Blackman isn't having a particularly great season. Uh, they have Grichik Blackman listed as their right fielders, and then I think fairly then basically have them at barely above replacement at, at 0.3. They also have Nolan Jones out there. And and this is, again, I think something that uh, we'll see how it plays out, and obviously some of this is going to have to do with you know, Tolia's spring training and also Nolan Jones' spring training. And and if Gritchick is still on the roster even, uh, or if Daza is still, you know, the guy they're going with in center. I've talked before about how I would be inclined to trade one of those two players specifically so that you can make room for more of these younger outfielders that you have that you need to learn about. So Gritchick and Blackman in right field, I can 100% understand the thinking that that's what the Rockies would do. But quite frankly, I would be surprised if that's by the end of the season, right field has more, has yeah, that Gritchick and Blackman or Jones have more innings played in right field than players like Tolia or even Sean Bouchard or Brenton Doyle. Uh, so, you know, that th- those are the guys I think are more likely to get those innings. And I think that that gives the Rockies a higher, you know, not much higher. Th- those are still, they're giant question marks uh, where Gritchick, Blackman, and Jones almost certainly could play to a league average right field, which are not league, I mean, a replacement level right field. But um, what you want is a little bit of potential and hope for something better than that, right? Which is where, you know, if you go with Tolia, he he could very easily turn in a negative one war season because he strikes out 30% of the time, essentially the Sam Hilliard effect, right? His athleticism is phenomenal, but he just can't make enough contact. He strikes out too much. He starts hitting under 200 on basing 212, you know what I mean? And, and it could go south in a hurry. And then if you try to turn to guys like Bouchard or Doyle, they have very limited big league experience, as good as Bouchard looked last season. They do have him projected as the primary backup in left. But I think that this is just a little bit of a miss here in right field, certainly as the roster is constructed, because and it's not having both of the guys that I think are are some of the biggest potential difference makers for the Rockies, Tolia and Montero in the right place. Not a Montero one here at all. And and they've got Tolia kind of stuck as a backup where I think he's going to get, especially based on the way the Rockies talked about him and played him at the end of the season last year, I think they're really trying to get him playing time. Unless he comes into spring training and he looks just awful, I think the Rockies really want to find out what they've got with this guy who's a switch hitter with elite, elite raw power and gold glove capable defense at both first base and right field. Great arm, great athleticism, great instincts, uh, great baseball IQ, all of the things other than do we know whether or not he can make enough contact with big league pitching. And you just have to find out about a guy like that. And this is the kind of season where you do so. So I will be very disappointed if we do end up in a situation where Grichik and, and Blackman shouldn't be playing in right field at all, honestly, anymore. And he, he barely did at the end of last year. So I think Blackman is just a, a DH now and is probably playing out the last season of his career. And I hope he ends on a good note, but I, I, I can't imagine he's the primary backup in right field. He may get a few games out there and I wouldn't be shocked if he's out there opening day, you know, something like that. But beyond that 
you really got to go to the kids in some of these spots. And that's one of the places to do it. In center field, uh, again, same basic conversation, right? Daza Grichik. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if that is the case to start the season. Not having Grichik as your as your starting right fielder, having him as your backup center, or really your backup in all of these spots, and a decent, you know, bat off the bench where the guy's got pop you've got to worry about and uh, can run the bases decently if you need him to do that off of the bench if he's still on the roster. Uh, I think he makes sense as the backup in all of the outfield spots. You roll with Daza, like I said, because at the very least, Daza gives you a plus defender who makes good contact and, you know, hit over 300 last year. I know it's not what it used to be. Uh, he's got no power, none of that. And, and you probably don't want him leading off too much. You want to hope you can get better on base and, and power threat at, at the top part of the lineup. But ultimately, Daza's not killing you on either side of the baseball. If he can hit 300 and play good defense in center field, like you will absolutely take that until whoever the heir apparent in center is ready to take over. Um and then, and then left field, obviously, is a giant question mark, too. I think they've fairly got Bryant and Bouchard combined for 1.9. So let's just go with a two-win season. But again, this is one where you could see going either way, right? If Bryant's hurt again or if the injuries are such that he just can't go and uh, like he used to. I mean, they've taken their toll, right? Uh, and, he, and he's just a a shell of his former self, he could, they could very easily underperform this number in left field. Bouchard, I really like, but there are, you know, he was never a huge prospect. There's some interesting elements to his game. If he keeps going like he was last year, that's a huge boon for the Rockies. But, you know, as other guys have taught us with these flashes of being really good for a month or two, Sam Hilliard had done it. Connor Joe had done it, right? You've, it's one thing to do that and and quite another to, to find a way to be, consistently an above average major leaguer for the entire length of the season. So I could see left field being a a zero win position or a negative win position for the Rockies. But you could also, of course, very easily see Chris Bryant putting up three and a half, four wins. He's done it many, many times throughout his career. He can do it without contributing a thing on defense and when you look at his numbers when he was actually on the field last year in the 13 games he played as 40 something um he was good he he wasn't the masher like the home run rate was a little bit lower than it used to be but even that because he had like one week where he smashed a couple and that kind of got him right back close to his you know home runs per at bat for his career People keep making a big thing about the fact that he hadn't hit one at Coors Field, but that was just a silly thing that people latch on to. It was almost randomness. He wasn't playing games at Coors Field. But anyway, the fact of the matter is no one should be shocked if Chris Bryant, who has done it many, many times before, who is still in his early 30s, by the way, uh, remember not to be this guy, but he is younger than Nolan Arenado, and has an MVP on the mantle. If he comes out and hits over 300 on bases in the high 300s, smacks 25 home runs, 30 home runs. No one, it it would be weird to be surprised by that. I feel like I know he didn't play last year and everyone's frustrated by that, but acting like Chris Bryant is a 40 year old uh, coming off of, 
you know, the worst injury of all time and just, oh my God, you, you know, you never know what you can count, which is not what the projections are doing here. That's more of how I read some of the comments on Twitter. Like I said, I think two wins is a good, safe, conservative projection because it could just as easily go under as over. But that is another place where the Rockies have the opportunity to dramatically outperform that number and not really through any magic beyond Chris Bryant playing like he had for the three or four years before he arrived in Colorado. So there you go. I think the position players, uh, again, across the board, where I agree with some of these critiques, is like, yeah, if they do play Gritchick and Blackman in right field, that's going to be a, a sunk cost. But I, I think there's plenty of opportunity for some other guys who aren't uh, in the mix here to get that kind of playing time. Uh, and again, the, the stuff with Bryant, Tovar, I think, has a good opportunity to outperform his uh, projections. And, and Brendan Rodgers is another guy who I think, with the kind of stunted early part of his career it's still very difficult because he's not the young guy he once was but he's certainly not old he's definitely getting better it's only going to be his third full season of big league ball and I still think that there's a lot of growth in that bat to be had and I know it's it feels like Ryan McMahon all over again and I would probably even say the same thing about Ryan McMahon like it shouldn't be utterly stunning if both guys put up a a 110 to 115 WRC plus next year even though they've never done it before they've got so many tools they've got high baseball IQs and their defense is so good that at this point you feel confident having them out there. Now you just really got them to hone in on that that part of the game. So, oh, and at catcher, they've got Diaz slash Servin for 0.3. Fine. Yeah, the catching is just, it's just there. Uh, it, it'll be good if it's not negative, right? <laughs> that That's just how that goes. It is weird that for DH, they have Blackman, Crone, Bryant, and no mention of Montero. Uh, I could see Bryant having some days in uh, at DH as well. But uh, again, I think they've got a couple of extra uh, potential pieces here that aren't being included. What's interesting to me is that the projections for the starting pitchers are actually pretty positive, uh, more positive than I would have thought. They see a big bounce back from Marquez. And again, that does make sense based on how these systems work. They're more likely to see his season from a year ago as this big outlier because it is when you look at his career numbers. Last year was so much worse than every other year. It's reasonable to expect him to come back to his career numbers, especially while he's still in his 20s, right? And they've got a similar thing with Freeland. So they've got Marquez at 3.1 and Freeland at 1.9. So a three-win season for Marquez and a two-win season for Freeland. And that would be fantastic. That would be that would be really nice. That would absolutely stabilize this team and go a long way toward walk, making them more watchable. Would that make them competitive? Well, if, if the position players are as bad as, as these projections are, no. If the position players outperform their expectations in all the ways that I just suggested they might, and again, it would take several of them doing that. But then, if the pitching is this solid, what's interesting is they have Antonio Sensatella with a 1.7 win season. Sensatella is not going to be there right to start the season. And that would be incredible. If he can come back and give that kind of contribution, basically three pitchers at two wins and up, uh, that goes a long way towards stabilizing this team and giving them a chance to steal games and, and get their way into uh 
some version of contention or even just being an over 500 team, right? They've even got Jose Uranium being an okay contributor at 0.6. So, you know, Chad Cool. Uh, they like Ryan Feltner for a win, for a full win. That that one kind of popped my eyes a little bit. I was like, man, that would, if he's going to be the fifth guy, which is where he may be slotted in right now, especially depending on what they're going to do with Gomber, who they've also got a plus 0.8. If Gomber and Feltner are going to be one win pitchers, like that would be awesome for everybody involved, for this entire team. Like, and, and that's one place where I think, I, I don't know. I don't know that they can do all of that. Um, I think there's a, a pretty high chance that at least one of Urania, Feltner, and Gomber, they also have Lambert on here, though. He was, I don't think he was mentioned in the article, which is interesting. A potential half a win uh, addition. I don't, I don't think all of those guys are going to be able to be plus contributors. If they are, like I said, it just... It raises the floor of this team a lot, despite the fact that... And and Dan's major takeaway here is basically that the Rockies have a higher floor than teams like the Reds, the Pirates, or the Nationals. But he he doesn't see a way in which the team could possibly get to 85 wins, uh, especially if you're looking at the position players like uh, this. And, and yeah, if the position players are that bad, you know, the relievers, he's got at a combined 2.8. I was surprised to see that steam was so low on Brent Suter. I don't know what that's about, but it was kind of made up for by how high they were on, uh, Denelson Lamette. And, uh, who was, who was the other guy who got, who, who had a pretty good, uh, I'll see if I can find it. Um, you know, the, the bullpen is always is going to be, a major factor and a giant question mark, right? That's just always what the bullpen is, especially in Colorado. I like Daniel Bard to have a, another solid year. I like Brent Suter. Oh, Pierce Johnson. There it is. Uh, they like Pierce Johnson and Denelson Lamette in these. Not as much Suter, but whatever. That's fine by me. Justin Lawrence, I think, is a major X factor. Actually, I'll say Justin Lawrence and Lucas Gilbreth, I think, are major, major X factors there. And then the bottom part is always... Just a we'll see what we'll see. They Dan did talk a little bit about Riley Pint, though. Steam hates him. So that's another one of those things where, and, and that makes perfect sense. Pint has had some terrible numbers throughout his minor league career, but he's also somebody who retired, went away, came back, and the numbers have been a lot better ever since. And so it's difficult for the system to know what to do with that because that's such an unusual trajectory. And I wouldn't be shocked if Pint has no impact on the major league roster next year. But if he comes in with the kind of stuff that he has, and he really has turned a corner, he's got first round draft pick pedigree, a lightning dynamic fastball, an incredible changeup. And if he's not walking guys anymore, he could be an absolute boon for this bullpen, but you can't count on him. So the, the absolutely the system can't do anything, but again, relievers always a bit strange there. So this one is interesting to me because I feel like more often than not, I'm out there saying the Rockies pitching is better than you think. It's better than you think. And then people saying, ah, no, they have all these guys that can hit, but they don't have any of these guys can pitch. And I'm always the one going, actually, the lineup's been pretty dreadful the last couple of years. And these pitchers have been hanging on. But in 2022, it really flipped. Well, uh, no, I should say this. The offense was bad in 2022. So I'm not saying that 
oh, no, they're fine. They, they just need to keep doing what they're doing offensively. As I've kind of described before and hopefully went through as we were doing all the, the position stuff there, I see a lot of areas for improvement from Tovar, Rogers, Bryant being around, Tolia and Montero being year-long factors. If Zach Veen is ever going to work his way into this thing, uh, th- there are several potential upgrades for the Rockies in the offense from guys who are coming up internally. I don't see that potentiality in the pitching. So as I've often said, even if they make some acquisitions, and they still need to in my mind, the only way for them to sneak their way into that 85 wins that Dan is talking about, in my mind, is for the starters to do precisely what they are projected to do here. If they do that, they've got a great start. If and, and the thing is, they have to do it consistently and they have to start well and put themselves in a position to be able to add things throughout the season. That always can change your projections up a little bit, right? But if Marquez can come back and be a solid three-win pitcher, like a really good, well-above-average pitcher, that goes so far towards stabilizing this team. Freeland, you've heard me say it all offseason. You heard me say it all last season. These two guys are the linchpins. They do that. Marquez puts up a three-win season. He's going to get extended by the Colorado Rockies, and they're going to continue to try to build around these two pitchers, which would probably be the smart and best thing to do because at the very least, you know, they can throw here where everybody else you're taking that massive risk on. I would say, you know, similar Sensatella. He comes back after an injury, puts up a two-win campaign. You got to keep that guy around and make at least those three the core of your rotation moving forward. Consider 2022 just a bad year on their resumes. You know, and and Freeland was actually fine. Um, But, you know, just kind of walk away from that season and go, all right, it happens. Everybody has a bad year, right? And you still have to build around those guys, but you can at least know that you've got that for the future. And it absolutely would make the team a lot more competitive throughout the season. Just you're going to be in a lot more games. Marquez Freeland, Sensatella are holding it down in the rotation. Now, obviously, five-man rotation. After that, Urania Feltner, Gomber. That's where I think these projections are... Uh, honestly being a little bit nice to the Rockies. And I think that's where they're going to lose a lot of baseball games. If one of those guys can step up and be that dude who doesn't have to be, you know, actually, no, they need two of them. I I lied. They need two of those three or let's do it another way. They need two of Urania, Feltner, Gomber, Lambert, Rollison. Two of those guys need to be above average major league pitchers for the Rockies to surprise people into contention and that's where i think the team is most likely to fall down that's where i don't see them reaching these projections even let alone surpassing them so as i've often said you've you've got to win with pitching i think the rockies are going to be a much more exciting position player bunch this next season and i do think these projections are missing some of that that said If I'm wrong and Dan is right, it will be a more competitive year for the Rockies because they need, more than anybody, stable pitching to even begin to think about competing. And it's something that they just did not have last year. And it cut the rug out from underneath any momentum they ever potentially had. And so this is going to be fascinating because... Uh, Again, I think the biggest miss here was not including more innings for Tolia and Montero. And 
that could be the other thing where maybe the Rockies do that and they keep those guys buried behind Grichik and Crone. And I think that would be a very bad idea. Uh, that said, I, I think I've seen enough coming from the organization to project they won't be doing that. But hey, that's what we find out. We have to get to spring training and know. But let me know what you think. Where do you agree most and disagree most with these projections? Who do you think is in for a big year? Who do you think takes a big step back? We're surprised every year. You know, we can always take guesses, and oftentimes these systems do come out to pretty close to accurate, but there's always one or two players who greatly either outperform or underperform their expectations. So I would love to hear from all of you out there who you think will be the biggest variable candidates. Thank you all for listening into this episode of 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. Make sure you're checking out all the written content at milehighsports.com and all the other podcasts and all that good stuff. Thank you all for continuing to be absolutely awesome out there. You know that I will continue to be absolutely Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark.